0: It takes a special breed of person to work in local government. You have to be good at what you do, you have to be creative, you have to be flexible, and above all, you have to be dedicated. So finding and keeping talent in municipal government can be a bit of a challenge. And because cities are such unique workplaces, it's really important for city management to also be flexible and creative with human resource management. So our guests today have some experience in doing just that. It's my pleasure to welcome Gina Nash. She's the city manager for the city of Sachse. And LaShawn Ross, who's the deputy city manager in the city of Plano. Welcome to both of you. Welcome to Perspectives. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you here. So before we dive into human resource management and being creative with it, tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Um, Gina, how long have you been in Sachse and what did you do before you were there?
1: So I've been at the city of Sachse for a little over eight years. I've been city manager uh, all during that time. Prior to that, I was at the city of Horney as assistant city manager for seven years. And I've worked for various cities, including uh, North Richland Hills, Arlington, even the city of Chicago uh, during my tenure um, uh, in city management. And I've got some private sector experience uh, with Arthur Anderson with uh, government and not-for-profit clients. And all in all, I've been in and around government for about 30 years.
0: Right. Well, City of Saxe is lucky to have you. you. And LaShawn, how did you come to be in the city of Plano? Uh, I'm from Texarkana.
2: Started my career with the city of Texarkana, Texas back in 1988 and uh, worked in human resources as HR director for almost 13 years with the city of Texarkana, Texas, and then had the opportunity to come to the city of Plano as HR director in 2001, and uh, worked with the city of Plano for 15 years as HR director and retired in 2016 as deputy city manager, Um, and find myself back at the city of Plano uh, almost two years now. Uh, came back as HR director and am now back in the deputy city manager role and doing a dual role right now until we actually hire an HR director. So um, I've been in local government for about 35 years
0: and still love it. And it sounds like the city of Plano still loves you. So that's great. Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. Uh, let's talk a little bit about human resources. Um, LaShawn, you have an interesting perspective on this because you're both a human resources manager and a deputy city manager. Um, But tell us a little bit about the role that city management plays in human resources.
2: I think that city management plays um, a really important role in HR in terms of helping HR to understand what the organizational initiatives and priorities are. I think that TML does a great job through the HR Um, city manager courses that they incorporate with the William King Cole program and have done that for many years. And I think that that's really important to see what that partnership looks like. So when we talk about our council objectives, our organizational vision, it's really important that city management have uh, clear communication in setting expectations with HR so that HR can do their jobs as the policymakers, as Uh, people who establish practices that support uh, the organization's ability to meet those objectives, those strategic objectives that are set by our city council and our city management. So the partnership of making sure that there's the conversation that happens, uh, making sure that there's clarity around what's really needed to create the organizational culture that's needed, and to get done the job that the city needs to do and to provide the services in ways that our communities want to to see them. It's a, a really important role that that partnership be intact between HR and city management.
0: How about you, Gina? You've had, you've had a lot of experience on the, on the management side, and I'm sure that you've been very involved with human resources. So what how, what do you think that relationship looks like and what is important for people to know about it? Uh, I think
1: LaShawn hit it really the nail on the head. It's so important to be inextricably linked between the manager's office and HR because, you know, as the city manager, I mean, my job is really to kind of set the standard of what are the norms, the mores, the cultural values that we have in the organization. But it's as LaShawn and her role and as HR directors do They have to then take that and put that into policy and be able to somehow make that connection to say, okay, so here's what I'm hearing from you all up at the highest level in the organization. Now, how do I turn that into something tactical that we can then share with employees and to instill in them and help them? Really, we talked, LaShawn and I talked earlier about this notion of spiritual buy-in, and we don't get that unless we really, truly set the standard at the highest level in the organization. And that's how we get that. Because if it's all coming down dogmatically, it's only as good as what the leader says. And when the leader has gone, it's not instilled within the organization. And so really, it's that constant feedback loop between the manager's office, the manager and HR who can then make be the translator within the organization and help people understand that this is what we're all about and buy into it.
2: I don't think if I could just sort of highlight something that um, Gina said, and that is the fact that it's inextricably together. This is not optional. I think that if we are, as our organizations move forward and look for, how do we do the best things for our organizations and communities that we serve? If we see that HR city management relationship as optional, I just don't know that we're going to get to the goals that we want to get to. It really is, it's an inextricably interwoven process of partnership that must occur if we are in fact to be our best selves and provide our services at the highest levels for the benefit of our communities and the people that work within our organizations.
0: I agree. Tell us a little bit more about spiritual buy-in what 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 does that mean to you and what 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 do you especially in terms of human resources what does that mean
1: i think what i found and and Lashawn and i visited about this today about the book good to great and uh jack welch and kind of at ge and his style of leadership was i mean he's incredibly dynamic and what he was able to do with with ge while he was there was amazing but the minute he left all of those things left right along with him there because, because of the style of leadership and the way that he communicated those things within the organization, it, it, his will be done, but there wasn't the buy-in to understand the why and to be part of something bigger and be, be really a part of that organization and buy into that and, you know, organize true organizational change and, and, you know, moving forward, it's all about the services that our people provide in HR. I mean, that's what government is. We're only as good as the people that we have. And if our people aren't bought in to the message and into the mission, then we really can't get where we want to be and where we want to go and ultimately deliver the kind of services that our customers, our residents should come to expect.
0: So if a city manager has a vision for the the future of the city and for like the direction that you're going to go, Um, HR plays a really important part in making sure that the employees understand that vision and actually buy into it. They don't just, like you said, perform, (laughs) they're actually living it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Every day. Um, you bring up an interesting point about how the customers for a city are the residents and how the employees are actually, um, the, the frontline workers, all the employees for a city are the, the most important people, I think <laughs> in a city, I don't think there's anyone that's less important than another. So talk to us about how managing human resources in the government sector is different from in the private sector where you have a different set of customers, you have a different set of expectations and you always have some sort of hierarchy about who's important and who's not in the, in the company, or it, it seems that way sometimes. Um, Talk to us about how human resources differs between the government and the private sectors.
1: Well, I think one of the things, um, and, you know, I have experience in the private sector and it was a, it was a great experience, but one of the things that um, I certainly picked up on really quickly uh, being in consulting was the return on investment. And so they wanted to invest in me as an employee because of what I could bring back to the company, Um, the profits, all of the things that I could do to create that ROI. And there was a tangible number and there were spreadsheets that were associated with it and they could tie your performance to that. And it was all you know very neatly bundled up in an Excel spreadsheet. Whereas we're, in what we do, it's it is those intangibles. And our investment in our people and truly that we care about them as human resources, not as human capital, and that we care about them that they in turn will give that same kind of care and compassion in whatever it is that they do for our city whether they're a police officer a firefighter you know a parks maintenance worker you know a library aide, all of those people can provide that level of care and um, service to folks out there if they know that they're cared for and, and, and we want to invest in them Um, and not just in their training and all of those things, which are certainly very, very important, but, but investing in them as people Mm -hmm. than caring about them as people, because you come to local government, certainly you want to earn a paycheck because we have to live, but you come to local government because you're a servant and you want to serve people in a variety of ways. And because you have that heart, you also have the heart that you need to be cared for and invested in emotionally. And so I think that is what makes us different. You are a person who cares, but you want to be cared about on a personal level. And I think that's what really makes us different.
2: And and, and I, I agree with all of that, and I would say that I think a lot of how we see these things is really based on individual perspective and some of the narratives that we've brought along with us historically through the lo- the local government journey. And sometimes our thoughts about our value, do we have to bring as much to the table when we're in the public sector as opposed to the private sector? Um, are the qualifications different when we have to come into um, to compete within the, the public sector versus the private sector? I'm not convinced that It's that different in terms of how we compete and what we bring to the table. I think that we undersell our messaging sometimes when it comes to those of us in local government. And we talk about the things that happen or the things that we think happen in private sector for those who have not not experienced it. But what I find is that when you look at private sector, this is not solely for the purpose of, of Comparing, but when you look at many private sector companies, they oftentimes do a lot of different things, and they sell these services or these products to their public. Um, or they may they, but they may focus on one um, sort of industry norm. Um, in the public sector, we have to do so many things well, and we have to do it under the under the light of public scrutiny. And so, I think we undersell ourselves sometimes in terms of what we bring to the table and what our value is um, for being a public servant. And so although we are serving, we have to do everything really well as we work in the arena of open government so that everything that we do um, is, is, is subject to question, that we have to explain the decisions that we make and why we do what we do and how we do what we do, and to be able to uh, really say that this is a service that we we have to provide for our, for our residents and our citizens. And so I, I think that perspective also plays a role in what we do and how we do it and how we maybe value um, positions for ourselves. And I think it's really important for us to not think of public and private in terms of one is more important than the other, or one is more capable than the other, but it's just a matter of looking at the arenas within within which we do our business.
0: Sure, and the purpose of most companies is is to make a profit, you know, mm-hmm. but the purpose of local government is to ensure that your city is running, <laughs> you know, exactly. so it's, it's very different yeah. um, and it's a different and mindset. We still have
2: to manage, and we still have to manage the budgets,
0: you know, maybe right. we don't have
2: a bottom line profit margin. We talk about that a lot, we hear that a lot, but we have a budget. And as our city manager tells us all the time, we're gonna live within a budget. And so we have to make good, solid, defensible decisions about how we use the resources that we're given to be able to provide the services that are requested of us. And so, again, I think it's perspective. We can talk about the money or the budgets or the profit margins, but at the end of the day, we have a certain amount of money. We have to do a lot with it. We have to provide services. We have to do the jobs. We have to do them well. We have to be able to defend the decisions that we make and that's not that's not just a little bit of stuff that's a lot and people have high expectations of us and we must deliver
0: sure your shareholders are the the residents of your city absolutely so they they have a a big stake in how you're spending yeah. that money and what yeah. you what you're doing and what you're providing for them for sure so what are your philosophies mm-hmm. for um attracting and retaining good talent in local government, because that's an important part of human resources, both the attraction and the retention. Mm-hmm. I think we have to know the environment.
2: First of all, we have to be aware of what's going on in the in the larger environment. How, you know What are people looking for? What are the recruitment demands? What, how, how do we need to compete? What are the benefits and compensation packages that people are looking for? I think first and foremost, we have to know what is the environment that we're competing in? How are we recruiting and, and where from where are we recruiting and how are we doing that? Then I think that we have to make sure that when we sell these employment opportunities, that when people come to our places of employment, that what we sold holds true. So Gina talked a little bit about organizational culture earlier we have to be able to deliver on what we're selling. So once we have gotten through the, the hoops of being able to market and, and obtain interest from people and be able to you know, offer a salary, a total compensation benefit uh, package that people will want to come and, and and have, then we have to make sure that the environment that we bring them into speaks to all the things that we said we're offering. Make sure that people have an organizational culture, a work environment, the the values that we talk about um, that makes them want to be there, makes them want to stay there, allows them to grow there, that we give them the resources and the tools that they need um, to build their careers and stay for a while. So when we talk about this this market that we're in right now, we, we didn't just get here by accident. I mean, we, we've been talking about the changes that we would see in terms of available workforce for years. I remember that being one of the first things that I was told when I came to the city of Plano in 2001. LaShawn, we got to talk about succession planning. You know, we're going to have all of these millions of people that are going to be leaving the workplace. And do we have the replacements ready? It's been happening. I think the pandemic accelerated it happening, and we're finding ourselves in in this whirlwind of um, a very different type of recruitment market, I think that we still have to just do the basic things that have always made sense, and that is do the work to create a diverse applicant pool to make sure that we um, are marketing these positions in the way that they should, and then when we're able to hire people, make sure that we're giving them something that makes them want to stay and makes them want to grow.
1: And even I would add to that, you know, often, especially, you know, in a larger city, LaShawn um, has a bit of the luxury of, and, and Plato has been known for uh, being able to not just attract and retain, but move folks around within the organization, put them in other organizations and have them come back. I mean, you've really always been at the cutting edge of that. And, and, And an example of that is that Saxie was able to take advantage of is we were looking for a new fire chief. I couldn't find any external candidates that I want. And Plano has a program where they will loan out certain employees if you pay their salary uh, to come to your organization for a set amount of time. She had a deputy fire chief, I needed a fire chief. He came and worked for us for several months and we ended up hiring him and he's still our fire chief seven years later. I think you have, we have to get really creative on how we do those things Mm -hmm. and how we, you know, attract and retain people because what Plano did in that instance is they did two things. Um, I got somebody good out of it for my organization, but they marketed themselves as really a a creative organization where they want to grow people and a place that people would want to work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's a lot of what we have to do, um, even in small cities, where I have employees that I say, what are projects and things that you want to do to grow and learn and do things? And sometimes they want to do things that I eventually won't even have for a job for them. And I say, that's okay. Tell me what it is that you want to learn to do. I will let you go learn those things. And then if you want at that job in Plano or wherever it is, I'll help you go get it. Because, again, you know, rising tides raise all ships, right? If if we are supporting people and investing in them, whether they're staying with us or they're going somewhere else, it's marketing for us and it yeah. makes us be an attractive place to work, to stay, or, you know, to do whatever it is that you need to do to, to further and advance your career.
2: And I feel like that's a huge statement of value. I mean, we talk so often in the public sector, we say things like um, – our employees are our most important assets. And I think that when we're demonstrating value, those kinds of things, those kinds of unselfish moves that are tied to development and giving people the resources. And then also working together, having that connectivity between municipalities that, you know, I don't we don't have to have all the stuff in Plano. sacsi doesn't have all have to have all the stuff. Why can't we share? And we're all at the end of the day better for it for sure.
0: So the more rural the area is, it seems to be um, that you're more and more and more loyal to your town. And there's this idea that even though you're you're the same, you're also competitors of some kind, you know? And how do you get away from that when you're talking about a city rather than a football team? You know what I mean? People kind of wrap it all up together into into one and they think that um, if if I'm borrowing, if I'm using an employee from this other city, that's somehow going to be ruining my competitive advantage. What do you do when you run into that kind of idea?
2: You know, I will say this, and it's something that I say in classes that I teach all the time. I think we have to let go of the myth of scarcity. We can't run around thinking that, well, there's only so much talent. There's only so much money. There's only so much recognition and if if I share mine with Saxie, then what does that mean for me? No, 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 no. Really? There's enough for all of us. There's enough talent. There's enough money. It's about how we use it. It's about how we acquire it, how we use it. Are we going to be good stewards over those over those resources, whether they're human resources or whether we're talking about capital resources? I think it's a mindset. You know, we talked about perspectives early on. I think it's a mindset, and when we don't, when we let go of that idea that, well, if you get something, then that means there's less for me. If we go into it with a mindset of, no, there's there's enough regionally, there's enough in our area for all of us to share. It's just a matter of us communicating and talking about how best to allocate those resources. I don't know, what do you think, Gina? Yeah, I
1: think I think that's something that we do struggle with, and we we think of it as com- competitiveness. And I think one of the great things, though, we do learn in local government is this uh, notion of R&D, replicate and duplicate. We don't have to, uh, as governments, not share because it's all open and we call each other all the time and say, what's your policy on this and what did you do about yeah. that? And I think we need to just sort of take that and put that into the HR arena when it comes to competing for human resources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we all have great talent and we all have great folks in our organizations. And again, we can figure out how we can make things work for all of us if we just tap into those relationships and have those conversations and we're honest about what we want what who we have that wants to do something more and different in their career. And again, I say it all the time, if this isn't the place for you because you want something, you know, in another city, let's figure out how I can help you get there. And we may cross paths again and we may not or you may send somebody my way because they might want something that I have. In the end, you know, we'll, we'll all make it a better place if we all kind of look at it as a, a much bigger picture of, of community of resources than just our own city.
0: And this profession itself is, is much bigger than just one city, of course. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're helping a manager in another city, you're helping the whole profession and you're, you're really helping yourself <laughs> in the long run, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So what are some other creative practices that you've employed to help make sure that you both have solid teams in your cities or um, that you've, you've boosted the, 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 the profession in general?
1: Well, I think, you know, like one of the things LaShawn talked about is a lot of these things that we're experiencing now, they were coming before COVID. I think we just didn't want to didn't want to see it. We wanted to keep things the way they were because that's how they always were. And I think COVID really helped us to learn things like we can close down and we can still provide amazing services to our residents and knock it out of the park every day. We can and it will look different and it will be different. But we proved that we could do it and we still can. And so I think what it did, though, is it helped elected officials get kind of the permission to be able to have the courage to say, okay, well, let's try some of these things we've never tried before. I mean, it could be things like we changed uh, our hours here at the city of Sachse. We're Monday through Thursday, uh, 730 to 530. And on Fridays, we're 730 to 1130. And it didn't cost us any money. And it was a huge, huge uh, uh, big deal for our employees. They really love it. Um, that they could go on an appointment on a Friday afternoon or pick up the groceries early or get home and make a snack when their kids walk in the door. That it, it that those extra four hours were just like gold to people. And, and explaining to the council and to our public that it didn't cost you anything. Yeah and you gave a perk to an employee that now they they are they are very appreciative of and now is a benchmark in which they will be looking if they ever wanted to leave and they loved that we made that investment i was telling her you know sitting down with a group of employees and they wanted to wear jeans every day i i am I'm, I'm a fluffy middle-aged woman i would rather die than wear a pair of jeans every day but <laughs> Our younger folks and other folks love that. And that was a big perk to them. And I got emails from people that people stopped me in the hall and thanked me and said, no, thanks for doing that. That's that's really important to me. I want to be able to do that every day. did cost us a dime. I think we, we think of, of benefits as things that cost money. And that is not always the case, number one. And number two, what constitutes a benefit to me is not the same as a benefit to a different group of employees. And so again, back to that phrase again, of spiritual buy-in, pulling people in and talking to them and saying, what is a benefit to you? What matters to you? What do you feel like makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? Because you know that Friday you're only going to work four hours and you're going to get to go have lunch with a friend and, you know, pick up your prescription early and still get home and throw in a load of laundry. And and finding out what what everyone's needs are, and so that we can we can provide that. I think that's important. I mean, certainly benefits. You know, we all have to look at what's provided out there among our peer cities, and uh, particularly on the public safety side, that's a very big deal. And when they make the decision to start in an organization, because they typically stay their entire career in one organization because of the way their pay works. Um, and you know, lateral moves can cause you know stagnation and in progression of employment. They are looking and they're looking at all the cities that they could apply to, and they're checking off every benefit. And you want to make sure that you're in there with your competitors that it's nice to have something where you stand out. Our council made a, a, a huge investment by saying we are going to have family medical leave pay for 12 weeks and not just for having the birth of a child or the adoption of a child. But if you have a parent that is ill, if you have you know things like that that would qualify, it's all of it. That's a huge deal. And it's been a game changer here in our organization. We have a lot of young people that are coming here because of that. And because they want to have children and not be unpaid for 12 weeks. That's very scary. And so um, recognizing that life happens to people and that it shouldn't be a punishment and that we have to figure out a way to help them through those life events and that we support them and their job's still here and they're going to be financially okay through it.
0: What um, what are some of the benefits that people are asking for, especially the younger people who are who are wanting to be a part of a city, you know, maybe they, maybe they have competing offers from the private sector, or maybe they have competing offers from other areas. Um, What, what kinds of benefits are they looking for? And I'm not talking about just traditional health benefits, but some of the things that you mentioned, some of the work life balance issues, Um, what, what kinds of things are people asking for and that you notice as is maybe trends that we can all, pay attention to and try to figure out creative ways to offer. Yeah, when
2: we talk about the scheduling flexibility that the local government organizations have now embraced, many of them, um, that is what we hear a lot. I know that in the past um, several positions that we've posted at the City of Plano, one of the first questions that people will ask is, can I work remotely? And and we have to decide: does it work for this position or does it not? And we're upfront with them um, as to whether it can be a remote position or whether it can be some remote work. Uh, some people want to know: can it be fully remote? And and typically we can't get there. Um, but the scheduling is is a is a big deal. And then in the environment that we're currently in, people in uh, positions that have not always been able to negotiate as heavily for starting pay we're finding that that is more of an issue now too so that people want to heavily negotiate what their starting pay is and so we have to do a better job of selling in our organization we've talked about this we have to do a better job of selling the total compensation package and all that that means um we with the city of plano We're talking internally about, let's make sure that since the city does not participate in social security, people need to understand that that's a contribution of over 6% that they're not going to have to make when they come to the city of Plano. However, they don't go without that benefit because the city of Plano has something that it fully funds, that the organization fully funds, which is called the retirement security plan. That is a social security replacement from when the city decided to opt out of social security um, in the 1980s. Um We talk about those things. We talk about professional development because when we look at the the trends for um, younger people coming into the workplace, being able to have personal professional development appears to be important uh, to a lot of people. So we talk about the fact that that's available, but to your to your question more specifically, what we hear a lot is less about the health insurance um, and and not really leave balances and accruals so much um not even maybe retirement with some particularly those that uh have come from other industries where retirement wasn't a thing to begin with but it's more often about what is going to be my starting salary how do i grow through that and what is my flexibility in terms of scheduling and whether i work on site or if i'm able
1: to work remotely that's what we hear most often i would say that's the same for us Um, you know what what used to attract people to local government was the benefits um, in terms of health insurance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and leave, mm-hmm. both uh, vacation and sick. Mm-hmm. And what I find now is that very little, uh, it's not asked about. Yeah. It truly is, where can you start me in the pay range, and can I have any level of remote work? Do you know the other thing that you just reminded me of when you were talking, Gina, is that what we
2: find is that the vast majority, vast majority, probably far beyond the 60, 65% margin of our new hires have no municipal experience. And we hear the word stability quite a lot when we ask, you know, what drew you here? Why would, you know, you've you've never worked for a local government. What made you make that that change? And this isn't just in the recent two years. I also remember this, when we were talking about the economic downturns back in 2007, 2008, but what we hear a lot is uh, people. There is a perception that there is stability in local government. You can come, you can stay. You're not going to be subjected to layoffs. There's not going to be this up and down. I can come here. I can build. I can stay. I can grow. And if we can, if we can agree on these initial terms, then I I, I want to try out local government.
0: So you guys have both touched on this, but how 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 about once employees are on board? It's really important to keep them, especially I think in a municipality as opposed to a company where you can hire another person to do the same job, but in a in a city um there's there's some I think there's a greater importance put on longevity and Retaining employees over time. Um, so, what do you do to make sure that they want to stay once they come on board? You've, again, you've touched on that a little bit, but mm-hmm. if you'd like to expand on it, that'd be great.
1: I think it's um, a couple things. Uh, one we've talked about is just you know checking in with people and, and making them more of a, a, a resource than than just you know a piece of capital, <laughs> if you will you know, that that they are a person and those touch points with them and making sure that we're checking in with them as people and that we truly do care about them. I think that's important. And one of the things that we've focused on in Saxy is um, the, the idea of emotional intelligence. And we've really focused on um, using the tool. We like to use the Enneagram tool, and it's very popular. Um, and I know that a lot of um, churches and young people use it. There's there's tons of information out there. You can go out on Facebook or Instagram and all this. And some of it's humorous and it's, it, and it's, it, it's, it's really interesting stuff. And we've used a consultant for a while now to help us do that with our executive team, because to, to me, everyone that sits around the table on my executive team, they're competent. Uh, they are professional. They know exactly what they're doing. There's no question about that. What, what, makes the difference is how do we communicate with one another in a way to make us better and to take us to the next level of where we want to be in terms of the service that we provide to our residents. And the only way we can do that is if we truly work well together as a team. And that means that we need to understand when we are at our healthiest, how, how we act and perform at maybe at an average level of health, and maybe when we're unhealthy and how do we bring the best version of ourself every day? And how do we truly understand who we are? And then how do we then understand how our fellow coworker is and how we interact with them and how we, when we do well, what are the things we're doing? And when we're not doing well, maybe it's because of the way I communicate or I don't communicate and how do we figure that out so we can be high functioning? And so we've been working on that as a team, and I'll be honest, it's been uncomfortable. It's been very uncomfortable because that's not something that we talk about in the workplace. We don't talk about our emotional health. Um, But we're talking about it here, and we're trying to get um, comfortable amongst ourselves to then push that through the rest of the organization and say, "Here's, here's my style, here's what I'm, here's, where I am at my best, here's maybe where I'm not, here are the things I'm working on, here's here here's what I'm about and not just what I know and you know what I can bring to the table for you. And I think that's key because what happens when we're not good communicators in our organizations is we start avoiding each other, uh, we start emailing instead of talking uh, and we, we are not productive anymore. And so I'd say all of that because when it comes back to you know, the discussion at hand of human resources is we've got to be pretty in touch with who we are and how we are in order to be able to work connectedly with others around us. And I can tell you, Gen Zs are very comfortable with that and they're comfortable talking about it. And we need to learn to do that because... They are entering the workforce now. (laughs) As, As my kids say, they have entered the chat and they're here. And we have got to learn how to have real authentic dialogue at work about what's going on and how we're handling things. And if I'm barking stuff at you that I need, that's not building a relationship. That's me telling you what I need from you. And so, I don't know that I want to talk to you if that's how you're going to talk to me, depending on my, t- my personality style. And we're not going to be super productive if that's what's going to happen. Or if I'm a person that loves to talk everything out and I'm talking to a person that's very data-driven, they're probably not listening either. And so it's a lot of not so much about what I need, but what do the people around me need and how can we function at the highest level.
2: And everything that Gina just said, feeds right into shaping organizational culture, which is so important, that that, that whole quote that says, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah, because we can bring strategies in, but if the culture is not such that it can support that, that it will support that. If we've not done the work when we talked about bringing people into the organization, yes, we want to retain them, but we have to provide an organization where they want to be retained. And we need to be certain that we're doing the work on ourselves so that we're taking care of that individual work, we're taking care of the departmental work, the organizational work, because it takes all of us to be attentive to the emotional intelligence, the cognitive intelligence, the, uh, the, the intellectual humility to be able to say "When I don't know. And that I need you to help me learn when we talk about being collaborative, when we talk about being team focused, then we need to be able to draw from one another. And the way that we can do that is we have to build trust and relationships because it's not helpful when we don't talk about the things that we need to talk about. It's also inefficient when we don't address issues that need to be addressed. It's inefficient when we have to create workarounds because I don't deal with Gina. I don't talk to her. So now I gotta go talk to somebody else that doesn't even do Gina's job, but I gotta talk to them so that they can talk to Gina so that we can get the work done. It's costing us money. When we talk about being stewards, it's not just about the dollars that are in front of us. It's also about the processes that draw from the budgets that are put in place to be able to help us do our work. So how we create culture, how we support culture, how we nurture, the work environment and how we all feel in the work environment. When we hear about the D, I, and D, and that belonging piece, and the welcoming, it's just what ought to happen for all of us. It's not categorical, or it shouldn't be categorical. It should be how does every person feel about being part of this organization, and what are we doing to make sure that we're providing the type of organizational culture, the type of work environment where everyone can feel psychologically safe, So that everyone can feel like this is a welcoming environment and can feel that they belong so that we're not just talking words, we are actually walking the talk. And so to do everything that Gina just discussed is so extremely important because if we don't don't get the relationships right, the rest is just going to be a whole lot harder.
0: Well, this has been a wonderful discussion about just human resources practices and how important they are, and especially in a city. And um, it sounds like both Sachse and Plano are wonderful places to work. So I hope that um, a lot of people are heeding what you have said and are are working hard to make their own cities good places to be. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go? I, I would
2: I would just say uh, something that we were talking about in a class this morning, Um, practice makes perfect. And it's something that we've heard from the time that we were what, four years old or something that I think that is really important that we recognize that whatever we're practicing, we get better at it. So if we're practicing avoidance, if we're practicing not putting in the work for the kinds of things that the literature and experience says that are important to having productive, positive work environments, we're going to get better at whatever we're doing. So let's pay attention to whatever, to what we're practicing.
1: I would agree. And and I would add to say that I think we have got to look at human resources very differently in 2023 and beyond than we ever have. Um, It is not what it was when I started out in this career. Um, It is, I mean, we're being led by a different generation now and we have, different generations entering the workforce. And as much as we love to to joke about stereotypes for all the generations, there, there, there are those, but they I I have outstanding millennials that work for me. And I am excited about Gen Z and what they're they are coming on and thinking and doing. And and they're excited about this field. They're excited about local government and I can't wait to see what they can do next. So I think what what we need to focus on relative to hr in this business is we've got to jettison these old ideas of how we grew up and you know i I joke with some of my staff i i'm trying to break these break the cycle (laughs) and let's not keep doing some of these things that weren't great for us when we were growing up in this business and to make it a place that is different and but it's better and you know in, in those of us who have mpas you know the athenian oath we need to leave it better than we found it well we need to do that and the way we do that is by listening by engaging and making things better for the next generation so they can continue to improve on this amazing profession that we're so blessed to be able to do every day
0: it. Yeah well thank you so much to both of you for sharing your sharing your insight and sharing your experience and for joining us on perspectives today we really appreciate it thank you
1: thank you thanks Stacey. bye-bye
0: bye-bye thank you so too much to our guests gina nash and lashawn ross to find information for creatively managing human resources please visit our website at tcma.org